Hello and welcome to Calling All Detectives from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Calling All Detectives. Tire marks on a dress, a shorthand notebook, and a telephone number. Those are the exhibits on this page for my casebook. The casebook of Jerry Browning, private detective. A private detective like me, Jerry Browning, knows that a lot of crimes would go unpunished, except for the accident of chance. A crowd was just starting to gather around the lifeless figure on the street. The cop's car and the ambulance drew up. Anybody know this girl? Any witnesses to the accident? Anyone get the number of the hit-run car? The answer was a great big silence. The boys from the medical division went to work. The crowd watched them put the body on a stretcher. But I was watching something else. A notebook that had lain under the body. I bent down. Here, officer. I think the poor kid dropped this when she was hit. Yeah? Well, it won't be any good to her now. It's no good to us either. I want somebody who's seen the license number of the hit-run car. I shrugged, pocketed the notebook, walked over toward the stretcher. The intern held out a cheap imitation leather purse. His identification. Look. I looked. Saw a compact, keys, lipstick, a money container with a dollar and eighty cents in it, just a dollar eighty, and a letter. It was addressed to Miss Margie Irwin, care of the Cloverton Girls Club, and it was strictly a form letter. The Acme Manufacturing Company regretted to inform Miss Irwin that they had no positions open. Her name would be kept on file. I handed the stuff back to the intern. It's tough, but accidents will happen. What are you staring at, Mac? What I was staring at was the dead girl's coat. There wasn't a mark on it. Yet her dress and arm had the impressive tire treads. Doc, this was no hit-and-run accident. Whoever killed her put the coat on her after she was dead. This girl was murdered. At the scene of what looked like a hit-run accident, I discovered that the victim had really been murdered. It was about 2 a.m., and mixing into this tragedy was none of my business. I told myself all that as I headed my car back into the town. Just the same. I stopped at the Cloverton Club for Girls... Talk to Harold Fenton, the night clerk. What do you mean Margie Irwin was killed? I got no further than telling him how Margie Irwin had been struck down by a hit-run driver when the desk phone rang. Fenton answered it, talked for several minutes before he came back to me. That was the police. I told them what I was about to tell you, sir. Miss Margie Irwin was in residence here, but as far as we knew, she had no family. And furthermore, this tragedy, shocking though it may be, is frankly no longer the club's responsibility. You see, Miss Irwin checked out of here at six o'clock this evening, left no forwarding address. I drove home, sat down, and pulled out the notebook I'd found at the scene of the crime. What I was looking at was page after page of shorthand notes. But as to what they were about, I had to wait until morning. At the stroke of nine, I was in the office of a big realty company down the street talking to Ed Lawler, the manager. Ed, I need some help from one of your top-notch secretaries. Ed nodded. 
pressed a buzzer, and in a few seconds I was talking to a Miss Justin. I showed her the notebook, asked her if it was possible for one girl to read another's shorthand notes. Miss Justin said that it certainly was possible. Examined the notes, and then looked at me pityingly. Those notes, she told me, were nothing but a beginner's practice exercises. I thanked her and her boss, took the notebook, and started out. I made the rounds of every business college in town. At the seventh one... Yes, Miss Margie Irwin is enrolled here, one of our brightest pupils. She did not, however, attend classes this morning. I guess she was hired for that position I sent her out on. But you'd think she'd have the courtesy to call and tell her so. Oh, well, these girls, young, thoughtless... I cut through his lecture, told him why Margie Irwin hadn't called the school. And then I got from him the name of the man who'd phoned for a secretary. It was Ross Carver with an office in the Farwell Arcade. I looked up the address of the building in the phone book, drove to it, and talked to the building superintendent. Ross Carver, the stock trader? Sure, he had an office here till this morning. Called first thing, said he was transferring his business out the city. We should just take his name off the lobby directory. Another dead end. Ross Carver left no forwarding address. His accounts at brokerage houses were closed. His home address was the Marseille Hotel from which he'd checked out. No forwarding address. I went to police headquarters. Learn any more about the girl who was killed last night? The officer in charge looked unhappy. No, we thought we had a lead from the night clerk at the club where she lived. He said she checked out, so we went out in her luggage. No soap. I told the cops what I had learned about Margie Irwin and the missing Ross Carver... Then I went back to the Cloverton Club. Maybe the day clerk could give me a lead on the murdered girl. I'm afraid I'm not going to be much help, Mr. Browning. I, I barely knew Miss Irwin. You see, I work from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and the girls are nearly always at work or in school during those hours. I see. But how about letters and phone messages? Did you have money for Miss Irwin? The clerk shook his head. She wasn't what you'd call a popular girl. Didn't get much mail. But wait... Her outgoing phone calls would all be listed. The management insists that our switchboard operator keep a complete file on these. Girls are so gabby, they can run up frightful bills. One moment. The clerk disappeared and then came back carrying a long paper tape that was covered with phone numbers, plus the time, and the rooms they were called from. I went over the entire list with the clerk, but not one of them was charged to the room occupied by Marty Irwin. But close to the end of the list, I saw a number that rang a bell in my brain. How come this one has no room number opposite it? Oh, it must have been made from here. The desk, I mean. Why, sir? Because that's the number of the office of the building at the Farwell Arcade. This call was made at 9 a.m. when Harold Fenton was on duty. Where can I find him now? I got the address and I got the cops. We nabbed Fenton walking out the door of his rooming house. Sure, he confessed. He'd been leading a double life. Harold Fenton clerking in a girls' club by night... And Ross Carver, a hotshot stock trader by day, using funds embezzled from the club, plus the money the girls had handed over to be stored in the club safe. His stock speculations had been good. So good, in fact, that he needed a secretary. By accident, Margie Irwin was sent to him, and he had to kill her. We proved all this in court, backed it up with the unbeatable evidence of the tire markings on the car registered under the name of Ross Carver. And believe me, the verdict was no accident. Like I said, a lot of crimes might go unpunished if it weren't for chance. But then the chances are always against a murderer.